Welcome to Psychopath in Your Life. This is episode number 102, and this is going to be part two of a two-part series about the Sackler family and the Oxycontin epidemic in this country, and actually it's kind of getting all over the world. So today I'd like to, in the last episode, I hope you had a chance to tune in. Um, the show normally comes out every Tuesday. So if you'd like to be get the announcement when a new show comes out, hit that bell. In the meantime, I do appreciate the comments. I would like to ask you a question. If you were a member of the Sackler family, I don't know if that would be good or bad to you. Um, they've got, let me see. I think it's probably about a billion bucks per family member. What would you do? Would you shut up? Keep the money? Would you? I, I would change my name um, and move to another country. That's what I would do. But I'm curious, what would you do? I mean, would other people willing to just kind of suck it up and think, well, grandpa invented the pill that killed all these people. So I don't know. Maybe I'll just keep the money. But anyway, let me know in the comments. So let's talk about these Sacklers. They really don't like having their names being told in public because they're the, these things are like, um, if you've ever watched any mob movies, I mean, I don't know really who hasn't, but the Sackler family reminds me of a mafia family, okay? And because we do know that psychopathy is in the genes, this is just my opinion. I'm only stating my opinion. Um, it seems like there's some pretty um, pretty good levels of genes running through this family because they've been at this stuff for quite a few years and they're raking in the dough and escaping the law. So let's talk a little bit about this lovely family, the Sacklers. They're described as a sprawling and now feuding transatlantic dynasty. In they're famous in cultural and academic circles for decades for their generous philanthropy towards some of the world's leading institutions, from Yale University to the Guggenheim Museum in the U.S. to the Serpentine Gallery in the Royal Academy in Britain. Both sides of the pond. See how we keep going back and forth here? But what's less well known though increasingly being exposed, is that much of their wealth comes from one product. Well, they did do the Valium thing, so they did make money off Valium because that's still around today, so they're still making dough on that. But, but their one product is Oxycontin. And Oxycontin in the world of um, pain meds is like the heroin in the capsule version of them all. And interestingly enough, we have evolved from the opioids to fentanyl to all these other really massively, um, uh, I mean, killing drugs. I mean, just a few months ago, there was a truck transporting through the country here and they had enough doses of fentanyl to kill 26 million people. So saying we have a drug problem in this country is an understatement. Saying that it has been driven by the Sackler family, in my opinion, is a very fair statement. So while they're hanging out at museums, other people are visiting the gravesite of their children. So let me explain a little bit about what this pill is. 
I'm sure you're probably not into pills, but it was first launched Oxycontin in 1996. So we're not talking that many, that, that many years ago. It's stronger than morphine. And it's what really sparked the opioid crisis in this country. It's killing more than 100 people a day. But that number, like I said in the last episode, I'd pretty much triple that. So what do you call a family that produces a product that is killing a couple hundred people a day? Well, 100 plus a day. And that's a pretty low number because once they wander off the Oxycontin, like I was explaining before, onto the heroin, onto the streets, losing their family, their whole lives. I mean, it's pretty insurmountable what people come back. And of course, the irony of this whole thing is these same people are now trying to come up with a drug to stop the addiction for the drug that they created. But anyway, let me continue on talking about these charming people, okay? So here we've got this really strong pill. It's killing hundreds of millions of people. And it's, it's getting, it's, it's, it's dangerous for many ways, okay? It's dangerous because if you take the pill long enough, the way it shrinks your blood vessels, it's going to kill you. It'll shorten your life. And it's also dangerous because if you have those pills in your house with the addiction problem going on, your chances of robbery are pretty high. As a matter of fact, I had a triple ankle fracture, and although I didn't take Oxycontin, luckily, and luckily I'm not an addictive personality, but I would still be on them today if I, if I didn't tell my doctor no. I just had to deal with other ways to deal with pain versus pills. Um, but that is not the normal trajectory that people take. Most people, once they get out of the pills, the addiction takes over. So it's just not quite that simple getting off of the pills. But yes, they're typically dished out and such that it really boggles the mind when you think of the death and destruction of this one family. I mean, it's really pretty outstanding. And they're actually, you know, they did this with intent. I mean, they sent legions of sales reps out to talk to doctors about how safe Oxycontin was. So there was no fooling. This was not a mistake. And of all the things I went through in the last episode, I, maybe one or two mistakes, okay? But it seems to me like collusion on a pretty big level. So anyway, so there's three. There originally were three brothers that started the pharmacy and the Valium. They actually, they bought a company that started off with laxatives. <laughs> Isn't that um, interesting? So anyhow, so they have, the, the, so then they started this, um, Purdue Pharma is the name of the company. And Purdue Pharma is 100% owned by the Sackler family. So they have these two branches and they're not very harmonious these days. Um their name is on, and here's another controversy, which I haven't followed up on, but it'll be coming out in the news soon. The Sacklers were very generous with their money. Well, I mean, if I had a billion bucks, <laughs> I'd probably give a little bit of it away, probably most of it. But um, anyway, so they've been very, very big with their money. So the Sackler name appears on places. So this is where this whole thing is going to start to shake out interesting because I have yet to figure out if Epstein gave back, if Harvard gave back money that Epstein gave him. 
I tweet Harvard every once in a while. They just don't seem to want to answer me, and I can't figure out that why. But anyhow, so yeah, so the Sacklers have really got a free ride for a really long time because up until now, it's been mum's the word on what their real name is, okay? So it's going to be interesting to see how many of these so-called elite institutions that were awarded all this Sackler dough gave any of it back would seem like the right thing to do, especially when they got the money based on the blood of death of people. But hey, that's just me. Um, if it would be, we'd have a lot of laws about stuff like that. So anyway, so they have, the Sacklers are all over the place. I mean, I could hardly find a place that they didn't have their names. They're at the Smithsonian. They're at the Metropolitan Museum. They're behind research facilities, <laughs> putting those people in charge of research at MIT, Columbia, Cornell, Stanford, and others in the U.S. Can you imagine what this family is researching to come up with next? I mean, if Oxycontin hasn't killed enough people, I mean, what's the next trick up their sleeves, right? So, and they also have over in the U.K., they have this serpentine thing, which I mentioned earlier. They have the Victorian Albert Museum. They have a bridge at the Kew Gardens, the Tate, and the National Gallery. The Royal Open Opera. You know, that was the other thing. If you follow my other episodes where I've been tracking these pedos, they all end up with titles. It's really very curious. You do something kind of criminal in the UK and you get a title. Well, I guess we do the same thing here, except we just elect them into office. So I'm not, I'm just saying equal sides, equal deals. So so anyhow, so they're at all these places, the Royal Opera House. And I kind of wonder, what are they researching at all these universities? I mean, quicker ways to kill people, like Oxycontin wasn't quite fast enough. But fortunes and reputations are not shared equally between all of the relatives from the deceased Brooklyn brothers. There is an Arthur, a Mortimer, and a Raymond. And I'm not really all that interested in all of them, so I'll just kind of brush over it. So you can find them on the Google machine. But anyway... Um, Raymond was the one who trained as a psychiatrist and he worked in the pharmaceutical area and he was the one that bought this tiny little company that specialized in laxatives in 1952 and turned it into a pharmaceutical empire. And I think that empire started with the, the Valium. They, these, these haven't, this company hasn't had a lot of tricks to it. Okay. Um, they've done a lot of evil things, but really they're only talking Valium and, Oxycontin, and they got billions, okay? So the core group, there's a core group of 20 Sacklers in the Mortimer and Raymond branches of the family, and they're collectively worth $13 billion. So that gives them, I don't know, about a billion apiece. Raymond, who died in 2017 at age 97. See, rich people do live a lot longer because if you go on these medications, these people are selling you 20 years off your lifespan. So obviously they didn't take their own drugs, right? He was the youngest of the three brothers. And his branch of the family has been more active in Purdue. See, the other two families are kind of, the other two parts of the family are kind of doing some distancing. Um, so, but also remember those crowns and the British crowns and all these things. Interestingly enough, one of them, the widow of Raymond, Raymond is the one who died at 97 in 2017. 
His widow, Beverly, was on the board of Purdue, but she was made a knight by the queen. See, we're always back and forth across the pond, back and forth across the pond. So um, Beverly, she was on the board of Purdue. So while she, when she got this um, knight, I didn't know women got knights, but I, I'll never catch up with all this royal stuff. So just bear with me here. So anyway, so she was on the board of Purdue. So let's backtrack here. Good old Raymond died in 2017. Beverly is made an honorary knight by the queen. Oh, okay. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I get these, all these royal people mixed up. Raymond was made an honorary knight by the queen. His widow, Beverly, was on the board of Purdue until recently. So while he's getting made a knight by the queen and Beverly's still alive, this part of the family is pretty much in there. So, gee, I guess nobody figured that these were possibly white collar criminals. And what I always say about these people, these kind of psychopaths, is they really have, um, they really excel their skill level, okay? Um, why do it with a gun when you can use a pen? That's what this family has figured out. So anyway, so until recently, their two sons, Richard, 72, and Jonathan, 62, and Richard's son, David, it makes me start to wonder where the genes are flowing here, okay? Um, by which side of the family blew away from this deal, which side of the family is running the deal, okay? So a lot of these people are still on the board. Um, Richard and Jonathan found a medical professorship no, they fund, a <laughs> they fund a medical professorship at Yale University and give to other medical research. See, I was talking before, they're doing research in all these places. And what are these evil people researching? And why are they hanging around? I know why they're hanging around, because the universities want the money and will basically do whatever it takes to get it. So tax records for 2016 show that a foundation named after Richard and his ex-wife, Beth, donated to right-wing think tanks, including $50,000 to the neoconservatives, feverly pro-Israel foundation for defense of Democrats. That means that they are Zionists. They are anti-Palestinians. Interesting. I'm pro-Palestinian, by the way. David and his wife, Joss, are fixtures. See, this is why I'm having trouble with these names. I mean, really, you can't expect that I would have ever really run into these people. <laughs> Maybe if I was standing under the wing of their museum, they might have strolled by. But him and his wife, Jess, let me see. They're big on the New York charity circle. I bet you they probably know the Trumps, too. And probably Epstein. See how these people all connect? They're well-known in fashion circles. And Raymond's branch of the family has long been fond of skiing in Utah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about the early years. It's a well-known prescription painkiller. It contains oxycodone, an opium derivative. If you think opium, think about how the British got the Chinese all to become opium addicts. There, there's trains of this, but I'll get back to that later. So... So it's been around for decades, okay? But doctors and government officials have recognized its dangers for nearly as long. So for decades, meaning 
it's been around since 1996. So we have known of the dangers during this entire time. So that's what makes in the last episode talking about the DEA showing very little enforcement to be kind of fascinating information in a um, in a look the other way kind of way. The people began to voice concerns about oxycodone as early as the 1960s. The United Nations labeled it a dangerous drug. The United States classified it as a Schedule II substance. These are substances, the drug, these DEA people, just the drug, I don't know why we pay any attention to any of these people say, but I'll keep reading here. The DEA agency considers drugs with a high potential for abuse with use potentially leading to severe psychological or physical dependence. So they knew these were addictive drugs for many, many years. Okay. These drugs are also considered dangerous. So we've known this for 20-some years. Governments around the world, and they should be thanking us here in the U.S. for their drug problems, acknowledge that oxycodone can create health and addiction issues. Everybody's finally coming up with, gee, you think so? Everybody can get addicted? Awareness didn't spread far beyond policing bodies at first. As the drug wasn't used much for medical or recreational purposes, see, in the very beginning, people weren't getting high on it or really using it for anything. This changed when Oxycontin entered the market because the history behind Oxycontin's creation in 1990 produced drug. They had came up with this drug called MS-Contin, C-O-N-T-I-N. It was a powerful opioid primarily used for cancer patients. See, what happens with the DEA and stuff is once you get approval for one drug, uh, for one group, you can then use it for other uses, which is a whole different ball of wax that I'll get into later, which actually puts some pretty dangerous drugs on the marketplace. And we as consumers, we assume because the government is running this that we're going to be safe, which I'm here to tell you is not quite the case. So what happened was, was that they were going to, they had been using Oxycontin for cancer patients, okay? And they were about to lose their patent and millions of dollars of business. See, money always wraps into these evil deals. So in turn, the company devised a plan to create a new medication from similar chemical compounds, okay? Because the patent is running out. So now they got to do something because the billions are rolling in. So they got to keep that rolling in. So this is not an unheard of practice in the industry. So right before the patent comes out, make a few clicks, keep it off the generic market, keep the money rolling in. Purdue, Purdue wasn't satisfied with a superficial change to their medication. Instead, they were determined to create a new blockbuster, a revolutionary long-listing pain medication, one that could be utilized with a wide range of patients. See how we get this one thing, and now we've spread it out. It's like statins, you know, for blood pressure and stuff. They want the whole world to be on them. But anyway, so now we got Oxycontin being born for the world. We've moved it out of the cancer, and now we're into the general public. And initial signs were positive. Purdue's first study conducted in Puerto Rico, showed that the medication lasted around 12 hours. However, this research was later revealed to have had flaws. 
So surprised. Flaws in the thing. In follow-up studies, many patients needed rescue medication between doses. In other words, additional opioid pain medication was needed in between patients' 12-hour doses of Oxycontin. In fact, up to 95% of all patients on Oxycontin didn't regularly achieve pain relief for the full 12 hours the drug promised. So why does that matter how long the drug works? Well, Purdue had submitted an application for approval to the FDA. It goes through their Food and Drug and then Drug Administration and then the Food and Drug Administration. And they're all just about as reckless as the last one. So they included this new hyped up pill to the for the patent runs out to the FDA without including the research that showed the drug did not last for the full 12 hours. So they just left off a very major thing. So the FDA still approved Oxycontin for 12 hours use in 1995. See, we just can't stop ourselves, can we? Based on the data that was submitted, the first study Purdue conducted, here's another thing about these studies you should be aware of. Let's say I'm a drug manufacturer. Probably would have been a better line of business because the pay has got to be great. I mean, a billion bucks. Anyway, so um, let's say that uh, I have this drug that I want to get on the market. I have to go and get it tested. There's really no regulations about my testing methods. So, for example, many times people like in this Puerto Rico thing or um, they, they do them in countries like India, third world countries, they will do testing of these drugs on people that do not even have the disease. Okay. And here's how the testing works. Let's say we test 100 people, but 99% of those tests came back with results we didn't like. Check out the 99. We get to keep the ones we like and throw out the ones we don't like. So this is how we get to where we are today with Oxycontin because we think we have all of these things and checks and measures, but in reality, pretty slippery slide here. So they had approved it. The whole deal with the Oxycontin over the other ones was this 12-hour deal, okay, that we've got the extended relief from all your pain issues, okay? So pretty soon after they beefed it up, they, they got it on the market and they branded it as a new miracle pain relief. One that was less likely to cause addictions than short acting opioids. So what they were basically saying is our drug better than hydrocortone, the other drugs. So they're starting to use a little reverse marketing here. Okay. Later, the head of the FDA was on the market, too, and he began working on a new product development at Purdue. The doctors didn't believe the hype. See, the head of the FDA, see, all these people all collude. So he goes and works in a new product development at Purdue. See how they all start to change chairs around here? Before... And after Oxycontin prescriptions began, doctors faced complaints from their patients about the hours between doses. And remember, the whole deal was set on this 12-hour dosing. For many patients, the medication wore off in as few as six hours, which is, I think, the other pills are typically every four to six hours, leaving them in more agony than before. 
In turn, physicians began prescribing the medication every six to eight hours against the FDA-approved dosing instructions. See, the FDA can say whatever he wants. Doctors and the pharmacy reps will do whatever they want. That coincidentally was the same length of time many other opioids were prescribed, defeating OxyContin's intended purpose as well as threatening its market power. See, now we're, now the truth is wheeling back. This pill isn't really what they said it was going to be. When Purdue became aware that doctors were prescribing for every six to eight hours, the company's representatives demanded the practice end. Instead of per- prescribing OxyContin for a short duration, Purdue, this is where you, Purdue began pressuring doctors into increasing doses. The theory was that a patient could not take, where where they come up with these theories, it is beyond me, could not take the medication more than once every 12 hours they could at least achieve pain reduction by taking a more potent prescription. So now we've tossed the baby out of the bathwater because the whole deal they got Oxycontin was because it's a 12-hour deal. So now they come up with this genius plan. If we've got to make the pill work for 12 hours, let's just come up with a stronger one. So I'm just hold on to your seats, okay? There was a major problem with this reasoning. A dose, it, it, it's hard to, you know, none of this is funny. It's just hard to read this with a straight face because I, I, I don't know. I just don't know. It's much more powerful. So it doesn't provide a uh, longer relief, okay? It's much more powerful, so you probably get knocked out a little bit quicker, but for the same short amount of time. So what they've done is now they're continuing to cheat the system because it's not quite working out that they thought. So what it does, by making the drug stronger, it creates a greater risk of dependency and even greater discomfort from withdrawal. Unfortunately, many physicians followed Purdue's directions. Your doctor, by the way, gets probably 99.9% of his medical um, um, things that he prescribes to you from drug reps. Those people you see in the lobby that are handing out cookies to the receptionist, that's where they get their information from. Not all doctors, of course. For many patients who were prescribed Oxycontin in the hopes of alleviating excruciating pain, relief from their suffering was complicated by the consequences of being given too high of doses. Some became addicted. I would argue a great deal of them became addicted, but because we've never been able to effectively keep track of things, um, we know now that the overprescription of Oxycontin and other pain pills has played a significant role in the current opioid epidemic in America. Wow. <laughs> what kind of statement is that? We're a nation of drug addicts. And yeah, and these people. Okay, so now the runaround. Lawsuits are getting followed by crazy over, over these Purdue, Purdue um, because of its marketing of OxyContin. They broke every law in the book marketing this stuff. The doctors did not know that the reps were lying to them. Okay, so to be very clear here, I'm not saying that doctors should have known better. 
the doctors rely on the DEA and these other drug people, and then they rely on the manufacturers to be honest players. So when you get people who aren't honest, you've got a doctor who's busy with patients all day. Somebody comes in and says, hey, doc, you got a lot of patients in pain. I can help them. He's, Of course, he's going to say, sure, leave me some samples. Okay. So that's how it all starts. Um, so it's, it's played such a role that it, it's hard to even... It's 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 brought the rise of meth is on the rise. Um, we're we're just I don't know if it's because we're a country that has never dealt with our own emotional issues that we have this driving need for all these drugs. I mean, maybe from some other countries you can write to me. Maybe I'm maybe I'm only seeing tunnel vision from this country, but we have a really big drug problem and it's not coming just from the people a lot of it's coming from our own doctors the people who are supposed to be helping us so um it's kind of a messy system so anyway so you're going to start hearing a lot about these lawsuits because attorney generals and all these states are cranking up the lawsuits my guess is the sackler family probably has most of those billions stashed somewhere offshore um in one of those tax havens that they all go to that'd be my guess Obviously, I have no insider information on these people. They would not be people I would ever associate with. So anyway, so, and, you know, then in 2004, they started talking about the line. They started talking about the deceptive. See, we've been talking about this stuff forever. And I want to bring up this name here. See how these people keep getting recycled all over the place. Who cut the, um, the, one of the first deals? Well, it was a, our ex-Attorney General Eric Holder, good friend of Barack Obama. He managed to settle with the state of Virginia for $10 million. Now, remember, Sacklers made billions. I, I don't even know what the cost to our economy is. I, I can't even ratchet up my brain to, to get to those kind of figures, okay? So the Sacklers, based on a deal by Eric Holder, they got a $10 million deal to fund drug prevention programs. Okay. Not much consolation there because a lot of those drug addicts were too far gone by that point. So they have um, never acknowledged their role in this. Okay. And they have decided that they run the world and they can do whatever they want. And it was an interesting thing because, you know, I've been all these people, um, if you are interested in this kind of stuff, I kind of the first 70 episodes I got involved in trying to explain to people what to look for if you have a psychopath in your life. And then from there, I went off on the Madeline McCann case. And then I picked up the pedophile trail. And now I'm working on the corporate psychopath trail. So I'm kind of diverting into all these things. But my focus is on where these things divert and what their impact is on children. And I'm sure you could only imagine the horrific impact of children. I mean, there's grandparents that are hooked on these drugs that are supposed to be taking care of the kids because the parents are off being hooked on drugs. It is a crisis of all proportions. So I have to ask you a question. Am I like really suspicious? Have I been doing this for so long that I am just become the most suspicious person on earth? I don't see any way possible that all of this got overlooked for so long. I just don't. 
I'm sorry. I, I can't see how all these high paid smart people overlooked all this stuff. I think it was just a way to get rid of poor people, if you ask me, but that, you know, could come across a little bit radical, but welcome to my world. I, I don't know if this happened to, um, because Obama first got involved with it when one of his rich white friends had a kid who died from it. So if this had not transferred over to the white community, we'd be even worse shape than we are. So we're looking at this return of meth. We're looking at um, the epidemic. And somebody had asked me a question as far as meth now that we're on drugs. Um, meth is about the only drug that I've noticed that does tend to replicate a psychopath, meaning that people on meth do tend to lose their ability to have a conscience. That's why there's this old saying, I studied meth years ago, um, just because there's so much of it around. And there is a saying that uh, a good meth addict will steal from you, then help you look for it. So yeah, meth has been around, but because of the Sacklers and Oxycontin, uh, because of the opioids, we have created a world of addicts in this country. And everybody is just sitting around, just just twiddling their thumbs and wondering what should we do about it next. So I don't know. I I will be surprised uh, because kids are finding them in their parents. They're not finding them on street corners, okay? Kids are finding them in their parents' medicine cabinets. I mean, these things are dangerous. They need to be locked up. I would not rely on our government at this point to be doing anything. I would be hypervigilant. I would not even let those pills in my house if you have children. Perfectly normal kids with no history of drugs are going out to parties. They're getting these pills. They're mixed up with this Oxycontin. They're mixed up with fentanyl. And these kids are ending up dead. So we do have a crisis going on. And it is thanks to the Sackler family. So if we could get outraged over people getting murdered, um, where's the outrage for a corporation this big this powerful, getting away with murdering and ruining so many people's lives. But on that happy note, before I leave, I, I do have some kind of happy news here today. Um, the Jeffrey Epstein case, you know, Mr. Lolita Express fly around the young girls and then claim they're prostitutes. Well, he's coming under fire. Matter of fact, I would like to send a big shout out to Senator Ben Sass from the state of Nebraska. Senator Sass. I wrote to you to thank you because even though I'm not a Republican, I would like to extend my hand across the aisle. He's bringing an end to this madness. He is demanding that we go take a look at this Epstein case again. Every law was broken. I mean, everything was buried. Never in the, never in the history of this country have so many laws been broken, except for this Epstein case. It includes Clinton, Prince Andrew, includes all those people. So see how they keep circulating around? So to me, that's great news. The fact that they're going to open up the case. So we got to keep the pressure on because all those people, you know, never in the history of this country has there been a deal that was so buried from the public, like this child rape case with Epstein, Clinton, Alan Dershowitz, Acosta, all these people, okay? All of them child rapists, okay? The deal was made that these people who were, in fact, part of this child sex trafficking ring, the deal was cut so that they will never now or in the future face prosecution. 
kind of deal is that? Well, it looks like somebody broke a bunch of laws, so let's keep the pressure on and let's see if we can wipe those smug smiles off those people's faces because it's called child rape. Children cannot consent. And on that happy note, I'll look forward to talking to you next week. And remember, drop me a note if you want to talk about anything, and I'm always happy to answer you. If I don't answer you back right away, it's not because I'm ignoring you. It's because the message system, and I work alone, not that organized sometimes. So if I happen not to answer you, it's not because I'm ignoring you. Just jingle me again. And if you want to find out about the news of the world that's not being covered on our mainstream media, you might want to follow me on Twitter because the world is on fire and children are being killed. So I will look forward to chatting with you next week. Be safe out there. Goodbye for now. Bye.